You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Pacifica Radio. This is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding, KKRN, Round Mountain, KGOE, Eureka. In Oregon, on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO, Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI. Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Halenville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, and Seattle, Washington, we're on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing the globe five days a week, as usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today, once again, you've got me, Nicole Sandler, your trusty guest host from NicoleSandler.com, holding down the fort. Now, you know, Brad and Desi hate not being here. Unfortunately, this is a situation beyond their control. Brad's father suffered a, a major stroke and is fighting for his life. So we're holding down the fort until they can get back. I told Brad, just deal with your dad. Don't worry about anything here. So thank you for bearing with me. Uh, Again, I'm Nicole Sandler. If you have any feedback, any questions, any suggestions, bring it on. I'm at Nicole at NicoleSandler.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Nicole Sandler. All right. So we've got a lot going on today. A couple of interesting interviews coming up. But I thought we needed to start with a bit of news to explain what is going on with this whistleblower story. The pieces seem to be falling into place, even though on Thursday, the inspector general of the intelligence community testified before the House Intelligence Committee behind closed doors. But he still wouldn't tell the committee exactly what was in this whistleblower's report or give any specifics about it. The reason? He'd been instructed not to, reportedly by the Department of Justice and the White House. If this sounds serious, it's because it is. So let's back up. And for those, you know, who haven't been following along, let me bring you up to speed. This is kind of the Reader's Digest version. Actually, it's from CNN. So there you go. A whistleblower inside the intelligence community filed a complaint about communications between Donald Trump and a foreign leader. The whistleblower was alarmed by a promise 
Trump allegedly made to the foreign leader. The democratically-led House Intelligence Committee wants to see the complaint, but Joseph McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, has blocked that. Now, McGuire is set to testify before the committee next Thursday, September 26th. But in the meantime, the White House and the Justice Department told the Office of the Director of National Intelligence not to share the complaint, claiming that they don't believe it's governed by laws covering intelligence whistleblowers? Huh? Then on Thursday night, the Washington Post and the New York Times, about a minute apart, both reported that the communications at the center of all of this involved Ukraine. And records show that Trump spoke to the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, by phone in July. Some Trump supporters, most notably Rudy Giuliani, have been pushing for the Ukrainian government to open investigations that the president could use to raise suspicions about his political rivals, most notably Joe Biden. Now, some observers are wondering if there's a connection between the push for an investigation and Trump's call with Zelensky. Up until now, there's been no public evidence that the whistleblower's complaint pertains to the Trump-Zelensky call. Well, another shoe dropped. On Thursday night, Rachel Maddow spoke with The Washington Post's Shane Harris, one of the reporters who broke the story, and he clarified what we've learned so far about the actual complaint. When the uh, the, uh, Inspector General for the Intelligence Community testified today, and we understand that in that closed-door session with lawmakers, he said that this allegation by the whistleblower, it doesn't center on just one single event. So it's important that we're not simply focused on the phone call or the communication. It seems like there is more to it than that. It could be a series of events. It could be a pattern of behavior. We don't know. But we shouldn't be thinking about this as just a single incident, uh, it sounds like, that this whistleblower saw. It sounds like there is more kind of a tapestry here to, to try and examine. Then Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, emerged from the closed-door hearing in which the intelligence community's inspector general testified, but under orders, as I mentioned, from the White House and the DOJ, refused to give details. Upon leaving the hearing room, Schiff went right to the microphones and said this. We will be releasing the inspector general's letters, but I want to read one sentence from them. Mr. Atkinson wrote, I set forth the reasons for my concluding that the subject matter involved in the complainant's disclosure not only falls within the DNI's jurisdiction, but relates to one of the most significant and important of the DNI's responsibilities to the American people. This is what's being withheld from Congress right now. And then he went on Rachel Maddow's show to tell us a bit more. The inspector general found this complaint to be credible after doing an investigation. Uh, found it to be urgent and found something else which has not really been focused on, and that is that this does not involve a policy disagreement. So a lot of people have been speculating, does this involve a presidential communication? Does it not? And if it does, doesn't the president have a right to be confidential? This doesn't involve some policy disagreement. This involves an allegation of serious wrongdoing, uh, something that the inspector general felt needed to be presented to Congress was squarely within the jurisdiction of the director of national intelligence. And it is unprecedented for a director to withhold that information from Congress. And I just want to say what's at stake here and why this is so serious uh, for us. The Intelligence Committee in both House and Senate do their work in closed session uh, because we're dealing with classified information. But the result of that is outside stakeholders don't get to weigh in, don't get to correct the record, don't get to say that the intelligence agency 
representation on this isn't accurate. We rely on the agencies to self-report when they have problems, and much of the time they do. But when they don't, we are totally reliant on whistleblowers, which means if you can nullify uh, that process, which the Department of Justice is effectively doing, it means the ability to do oversight is just crippled. Uh, and it means that serious problems, urgent problems that affect our national security go unaddressed like this one. And it means that other whistleblowers who are watching, and I want to say to the whistleblower, if the whistleblower is watching you tonight, that we are grateful for their courage in coming forward. We are going to do everything we can to make sure this urgent issue is addressed and that you are protected. So then Rachel asked him if the whistleblower, having exhausted all the channels prescribed by the whistleblower's law, could simply go straight to Congress with her concern. And Adam Schiff explained that he simply couldn't guarantee protection. Uh, look, we would love to talk with the whistleblower directly. And it was certainly our expectation uh, when we wrote this statute that there would be an opportunity for anyone in the IC to come to the committee and expose wrongdoing. And that's always been the case because whistleblower complaints, even when they were found not credible, even when they were found not urgent, were referred to our committee and the whistleblower was told, you can go talk to the committee. Here the director is refusing to tell the whistleblower that. In fact, the Department of Justice is effectively telling the whistleblower, you're not covered, yeah. which means that there is a real risk even in coming to Congress. And that is obviously a supreme problem. Uh, I would love to be able to say that the president won't be vindictive, uh, that the Justice Department won't be vindictive. But I can't make that assurance if the Department of Justice is taking the position, you're not covered. Uh, and, you know, the, the people who do come forward, they're assured that if they do, their complaint will get to Congress. Uh, and so a lot is riding on this. If those promises are hollow, then it means these important sources of information about wrongdoing are going to dry up. This is astounding. The fact that this is happening is insane. Now, for more insanity, while all that was happening on MSNBC, Rudy Giuliani was melting down on CNN with Chris Cuomo. Cuomo asked Giuliani whether he asked Ukraine to look into Joe Biden. Giuliani at first said he didn't, and then within 30 seconds, reversed himself and said, of course I did. Did you to ask the Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden? No, actually, I didn't. I asked the Ukraine to investigate the allegations that there was interference in the election of 2016 by the Ukrainians for the benefit of Hillary Clinton, for which there already is a you never court asked finding. anything about Hunter Biden. You never asked anything about Joe Biden. The only thing I asked about Joe Biden is to get to the bottom of how it was that Lutsenko, who was appointed, right. dismissed the case against Antac. So you did ask Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? Of course I did. You just said you didn't. No, I didn't ask him to look into Joe Biden. I asked him to look into the allegations that related to my client, which tangentially involved Joe Biden in a massive bribery scheme, Rudy. not unlike Rudy. what he did in China. Rudy, you explain to me how the kid got one point five billion dollars. I have no problem Joe with Biden you launching allegations, but just be careful about what you say. And on Friday, we got to hear from Trump himself. He spoke to reporters Friday morning from the Oval Office after meeting with Australia's prime minister. You knew the question about the whistleblower complaint would come up. Trump, in his usual disingenuous way, pretended like he didn't know what the question was referring to. Then he claimed he didn't know the identity of the whistleblower, but said it's a partisan. It's a, from, the other, from the other party. 
And then he claimed his call with whatever country's leader he spoke with. It was a beautiful conversation. Ugh. What a reprehensible, lying, guilty man. And then Friday afternoon, the Wall Street Journal went to press with a definitive story that opens thusly. Quote, President Trump in a July phone call repeatedly pressured the president of Ukraine to investigate Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden's son, urging Volodymyr Zelensky about eight times to work with Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer, on a probe. This according to people familiar with the matter. Quote, he told him that he should work with Giuliani on Biden and that people in Washington wanted to know whether allegations were true or not. Giuliani, in June and August, met with top Ukrainian officials about the prospect of an investigation, he said in an interview. Trump's personal lawyer has suggested Mr. Biden, as vice president, work to shield from investigation a Ukrainian gas company with ties to his son, Hunter Biden. A Ukrainian official earlier this year said he had no evidence of wrongdoing by Mr. Biden or his son. The Washington Post soon after confirmed the Wall Street Journal story. By the way, the Daily Beast is reporting that Ukraine is ready to investigate the connections Joe Biden's son Hunter had with the Ukrainian national gas company Burisma Holdings. This according to Anton Jeroshenko, a senior advisor to the country's interior minister who would oversee such an inquiry. Jeroshenko told the Daily Beast in an exclusive interview that, quote, as soon as there is an official request... Ukraine will look into the case, but, quote, currently there is no open investigation. Problematic, you think? Meanwhile, the Democrats are still taking it all under advisement? I don't know. Democrats do something about this travesty now. What they can do? <sighs> Your guess is as good as mine. And it seems to be better than theirs because the Democrats don't seem to know. I guess we wait and see. What else can we do? On a day like this, when the news is so horrible, so unbelievable, I'm always looking for a story that's not, not this, something different, a diversion, an escape. And I found it with my friend Jason Leopold of BuzzFeed News. Wait till he tells you what he found through a FOIA request of NASA. <laughs> It'll blow your mind. I promise. Stick around. That's coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler filling in for Brad Friedman on the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Stop Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler holding down the fort until Brad and Desi can return. 
With all the heavy, depressing news we cover every day, I'm always looking for a story that's a little, well, different. And I found one. And it helps that I know one of the reporters who wrote the story pretty well. Join me on the line right now is one of my favorite people in the world. He is a senior reporter for BuzzFeed News. Is that your right title, Jason Leopold? Senior investigative oh, reporter. Senior investigative reporter. <laughs> and of course, the man, yeah. yes, the man dubbed by the government as a FOIA terrorist. I, I don't consider you a terrorist. I consider you a practitioner, <laughs> a skilled practitioner. Yeah, I like that better. Yeah. That sounds way better, Nicole. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely, Jason Leopold. So this time, you used your FOIA skills, prowess, to find out about a massive asteroid that nearly hit Earth in July that NASA missed. This is this yeah, is this was, great. <laughs> so this is this is what I like in my downtime from covering because covering lots of other things and lots of other things involving you know the um, this administration issues of you know following the money. But I'll tell you just a quick backstory. Okay. I mean, I think, as you know, I, I like to file FOIA requests on a number of different things. Yes. And I was actually driving, you know, home from work when I heard this story about um, this massive asteroid that uh, just narrowly missed Earth. And it was, uh, I think it was on NPR, um, one, one of the public radio stations. And I was like, That's, it, it, the, the, the broadcast was just, it was just so alarming, right? It was, you know... NASA nearly missed this asteroid. Right. It almost hit Earth. Um, the world was almost destroyed. So it was during a day when I was dealing with a figurative apocalypse so, uh, or a scenario. And, and now here was like a potential literal one. So I pulled over on the side of the road and I was like, I, I, I got to find out about this. So I, <laughs> I fired off um, a Freedom of Information Act request to NASA. And uh, this was in July. Um, I think like July 24th or 25th, I fired off a Freedom of Information Act request, basically saying, you know, give me all the records that you have about this specific asteroid that you guys apparently nearly missed. And sent it, forgot about it, right? Because that's usually what I usually sure. want time. But right. I like to do those types of FOIAs. I ended up getting these records back um, late last week. And in the world of FOIA, such a response, you know, about less than two months yeah. um, or just right around two months is super, super quick. And yeah. it was 200 pages. Wow. Now, I'm not a science writer, but we have an amazing science team here. But I started to go through these records and I shared it with one of our science reporters and they were just incredible. It was incredible. Uh, batch of records that not only sort of, you know, disclosed what took place behind the scenes at NASA as they, you know, found out about this asteroid, you know, um, just this, this massive asteroid just as it was passing Earth, but they really went off on the media reporting around it. So really? this was one of those, I need a fun story to write. You know, I need a fun right. story to work on. Yes. Um, which is weird to say, right? Because it's like, let me get away from like the uh, sort of dark things that I've been covering about and, and write a story about a doomsday scenario. <laughs> That's sort of what these days you right. consider 
a, a fun or story. at least that I consider <laughs> a fun story. Sure. So these documents just really laid bare um, one sort of the inner workings of NASA, you know, the type of work they do with regard to near earth objects, which is how they identify this asteroid. Um, the fact that there's a, you know, um, a senior official at NASA who's got the title of planetary defense officer. Seriously. I mean, that <laughs> to me is just like the best title in the world, yeah. you know, yeah. planetary defense officer. Um, and so, you know, so the documents really show that one, oh man, yeah, no, NASA really, you know, missed uh, spotting this, this asteroid. And the story explains why um, that was possible, but it sort of also just opened, you know, for me, it was sort of a you know, this great educational moment where it like opened up a window into uh, an area that I didn't realize was like, was, was such a fierce debate between Congress and NASA over funding um, with, you know, to, with regard to spotting these near earth objects and spotting it, you know, in time where um, they can perhaps do something about it or um, document it. And, and that's what uh, this for, was about. I mean, look, you, you write that, that they discovered it. They only noticed it 24 hours before 24 hours. The, the warning went out that this thing was passing right by. You said flying at nearly 55,000 miles per hour. The asteroid came lumbering by with little warning first detected that day by a small observatory in Brazil. The flyby came five times closer to Earth than the distance to the moon, a close shave by astronomical standards. It's called 2019 OK. And, I, it, it, and so this was a breakdown over funding for NASA for this type of early detection of asteroids? Well, there's, there's part of that, right? So part of it, and, and you can see, by the way, I think I, you know, we, um, we also quoted an, an email directly as they were alerting the folks, I think, uh, about, uh, about the fact that they just discovered this. And they said, hey, you may notice uh, some media reports tomorrow, but there's an asteroid that's uh, going to, you know, uh, go by us uh, in about 30 minutes. I think. Oh, my God. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, the funding issue is interesting, right? So mm -hmm. here's what I learned when I was doing this. I have literally no idea that this was taking place. Um, but what I discovered was that, uh, you know, NASA has a pretty big budget, but they've been trying to, um, work to identify more of these near earth objects, right? So comets, asteroids, meteors, uh, et cetera. They need sort of this real high powered camera to do it. So they have something that they've been promoting or that they've been trying to get funding for called NEO cam, NEO cam. Okay. near earth object camp. And there's been this sort of battle that's been taking place between, you know, Congress and NASA, because Congress, there's a subcommittee, you know, the space subcommittee that actually has sort of oversight um, of NASA. There's a NASA, NASA authorization act, obviously that's, you know, that's the appropriations for, you know, for, for NASA. And so then I've discovered that, uh, you know, even the white house have been sort of promoting this uh, the sort of work that they're doing in order to find these you know these near Earth objects. So um, the reason that they couldn't spot it is that they did you know there was there were a variety of factors which we you know we we disclosed that in the story we quoted in the story the emails are all at the end of the story um, weather was very interesting that um, you know uh, uh, 
weather contributed to the fact that they were unable to, you know, really see this and see it as, as being a potential threat. Um, and because they do these sort of surveys and there were these on the ground surveys, they weren't able to do space based type surveys. Again, this is, um, I, I hope I'm not mangling the sort of plain English explanation of <laughs> right. it, but, um, the, they, they don't have the right sort of equipment to be able to, to do that. Wow. And so, um, that is sort of this battle that's been, you know, that's been taking place where they're trying to get Congress, you know, to, you know, open up the coffers a bit more so they can, so they can do this. And it's very interesting. Again, as I learned that uh, there was a poll, an Associated Press poll that was taken recently where, you know, majority of the public actually said, hey, we're not interested in traveling to the moon again Uh or Mars. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually interested more in these near-Earth objects. um, Makes sense. uh, (laughs) Right? Protecting us. So it it was fascinating. It was really interesting to sort of see how they trace back the you know, because they were trying to rein in this media coverage that was quite alarming, right? Put people, made people feel really sort of, uh, um, got, got people excited and not in a good way right. when the reports first came out. And so they were hard, you know, the NASA officials uh, that are identified in the emails were harshly critical about the reporting, about, you know, the fact that the Washington Post, they don't call us, they're lazy. Um, there was... Um, a, a real critical email um, description about Epoch Times. Um, epoch Times? Epic. Uh, I thought it was Epic Times. But, time? but that yeah. makes Epoch, um, E-P-O-C-H, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and I always mess that up. Yeah, who and, knows? <laughs> um, essentially saying that, like, they wrote this story, the story ended up getting a lot of coverage, and then this, you know, going into who, you know, who they are as a media outlet. Um so, you know, it was it was fun to see it, but it really, you know, to see this sort of discussion taking place behind the scenes. But again, it, it opened up a new area for me where I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, I had not known about this previously. It is. Um, it, you know, it, and, you... and so we have a great science reporter, his name's Dan Bergano, okay. um, who's amazing. He took the lead on it because uh, um, it was very difficult to put some of that tech in. Right. Language he speaks the language, yes. <laughs> Where you speak the yeah, language yeah. of the uh, intelligence community and stuff. He speaks the language right. of science. Exactly. Um, but exactly. Now, so Jason Leopold, I wonder, there's another story that broke over the last 24 hours or so, which is yeah. that the U.S. Navy has finally acknowledged footage purported to show UFOs hurtling through the air. They're now saying are unidentified aerial phenomena. This is the first yeah, how time. How crazy is that, That's right? amazing. They're admitting it. it. What's crazy, yeah, and it, what's, what's crazy about it is that I, I guess on any other day, any other time, perhaps that would maybe the biggest news. I don't know. <laughs> um, it seems pretty big to me, but uh, it's sort of like it's, it's, it, it's got a um, uh, grassroots sort of way in which it's sort of you know, people are catching on to it. It's really interesting. When I worked over at Vice, um, uh, you know, some years ago, uh, the, uh, you know, one of the members of the band Blink-182 mm-hmm. had come in. It written a book. And um, the book was about UFOs, about the fact that they're real. Wow. And um, 
because that's what this story, this, this story over the past 24 hours is linked to is, um, you know, and he was his sort of, uh, uh, videos on it. Um, but he had been telling me that he, you know, he had these regular meetings with, um, top Pentagon officials, top air force officials, um, really, really, you know, senior level government officials about UFOs. And I have to tell you that like, you know, obviously when he was explaining this to me, I, I, I was like, Ooh, I think there's, um, I think there's something wrong with this guy. <laughs> you know, it just didn't sound right. It it, it like, sounds so on. fantastical. Right. It just of course. you know didn't seem true. And lo and behold, you know, here we are, you know, um, past twenty four hours, and the, the, he apparently obtained some videos that NASA. I mean, that the the Air Force um, or the Navy. Um, the Navy, you know, yeah. has, the Navy has confirmed that it's. Uh, yeah, this is real. So I love it. There's um, one of the videos. It's from from 2015. Has audio of U.S. fighter pilots attempting to make sense of what they're seeing, and the pilot in the first clip says, "It's an effing drone, bro." And then the other guy says, "My gosh, they're all going against the wind. Look at that thing, dude. Yeah. I mean, they're just incredulous." And it's interesting that this is all coming to light right around the time that that Area 51. I know the thing was canceled, but they they canceled it. But I'm sure some people would show up. Oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's 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 kind of amazing. It's kind of weird. I don't know. It just feels like a a a weird time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, these videos. You know, just to kind of give you some background on this. So, uh, the various government agencies um, have over the years released lots and lots of record documents related to UFOs. In fact, um, one of the top, you know, at, at least for time being at, at the Department of Defense and even the CIA, one of the most frequently requested records were records about UFOs. Hmm. And so even at the CIA's website, you can go onto the CIA's website and they have like a reading room, right? A, a Freedom of Information Act reading room. And you can see a, a separate file that they have there just on UFOs. So UFOs have you know, for for quite some time, have been you know a fascinating subject to people, sure. and the government doesn't have records on it. But what's interesting is that there's also some records, some things that they have that are deemed classified um, for a variety of reasons. And so these videos that you know have surfaced, uh, there has been some discussion that you know how did he get that? Because this should have been classified which gets away from obviously like, what is it in these videos that they are looking at? I mean, is it truly like something from outer space? But um, it's fascinating just in terms of, you know, what's behind the scenes um, at these government agencies. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the fact that they've been, you know, working on this for quite some time. And it brings me back to the, I guess it was the, you know, what, 30 years ago, the 2016 uh, election, uh, uh, the camp, presidential campaign? 2016? Like 30 years ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> um, you know? Yes, uh, it feels does. like it's been decades. Yes, it does. But it was Hillary Clinton's, um, after forgive me, I forgot who it was on her campaign, who was a very, very big, um, you know, UFO huh. uh, not junkie, you know. Right. I, I know Dennis Kucinich was, but I don't think he was on Hillary Clinton's campaign. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, uh, and it's just 
name escapes me. Uh, um, and it's someone that we, that's very prominent. But, really? Oh. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's fascinating. We're living in just a weird time where, you know, you have these sort of, you know, doomsday apocalyptic scenarios and, and uh, potential, you know, authentic uh, UFO videos. Right. And this news and is more palatable you know, to us than dealing with the orange menace sitting in the Oval Office. Right. And I, I think that's definitely true for a lot of people. And without and it a doubt. In its own weird way, fits perfectly into <laughs> the kind of craziness that, you know, has been unfolding, certainly, you know, on any given week. Right. Without so a I, doubt. I think that uh, uh, this this week is no different. No, without a doubt. Jason Leopold, uh, anything you're working on now that you can give us a hint on? Um, I can't really, uh, but I can tell you that I am working on, um, you know, with a team, a, a very um, in-depth uh, investigative project that uh, nothing will be coming out this year. But, really? Uh, I've been wow. Working on for quite some time. Wow. Deep dive. Um, with our team. And, uh, yeah, and I think it, when it does come out um, in the months ahead, it will be quite explosive. So I can't um, wait. Yeah, you know, and then in addition to that, you know, still working on, um, on, on stories related to, you know, this administration, looking into even, you know, this, uh, this whistleblower complaint. Yeah, I, you surfaced. know, oh, my God, I was going to ask you about that. And I don't know how yeah. closely you're following it, but with each passing day, it gets more and more... Uh, uh, freak outable, if that's a word. Uh, we have an acting director of national intelligence who has been told right. by the attorney general, who Donald Trump considers to be his personal Roy Cohn, um, that you are not to turn over the details of this complaint that the inspector general deemed credible and dangerous. Uh, we're, yeah, we're at a real impasse completely, here. Um, in a First of all, just inappropriate because yeah. the, you know, the, the, the inspector generals um, and then there's a, an, an inspector general act, right? It mm-hmm. establishes that the IGs at all government agencies and many of the, many of these positions have been vacant for quite some time are independent, right? They're supposed to be able to c- conduct investigations into waste, fraud, abuse, um, and to do so without any political interference whatsoever. And we've seen political interference over the years. We've seen uh, retaliation against whistleblowers. The unfortunate thing is, with regard to the intelligence community, uh, community is that the that the whistleblowers don't really don't have any real protections, right? So, you know, this person, whoever it is, went through what you know has long been referred to as proper channels. The person saw something. Yep. They felt that it was um, uh, it uh, it needed to uh, uh, people need to be alerted about it. They filed a whistleblower complaint. Um, you know, with the inspector general, it's supposed to be you know investigated. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can you know you keep it from uh, the top officials there, but the fact that that happens, you know, particularly with the intelligence community, is that you're also supposed to share it with the oversight committees, right? So the oversight committees in the House and Senate that, you know, look out for the, the intelligence or have that oversight of the intelligence uh, agencies are supposed to be made aware of it. And um, I mean, I, I honestly cannot imagine what it is. You know, I've heard, obviously, the same as you, that the Washington Post, some others said it has to do with a phone call on a yep. promise that was made. Um, so it's 
it's difficult to even sort of imagine what what promise could it be? You know, was there a promise like I will, you know, make sure that person is killed, jailed, will get you all that money that you want? I, I mean, it's 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 really hard to imagine. As you know, the president is the ultimate classification authority. So the president has the you know can, can declassify anything, right? Will. Exactly. Um, it, you know, so but but the fact that it went to you know, the attorney general, and that there was a question specifically as it relates to what do we do about this once, you know, the oversight committee started asking about it, or at least Schiff started asking about it in the House, Adam Schiff, that's problematic because now now you're starting to see this sort of, you know, politicization of everything. Everything. Um, particularly, you know, people going to, you know, the Justice Department, what do we do? Right. And, and I think it's it's, worth noting, and I'm sure you have already, this is unprecedented. I've done so much work on all of the intelligence agencies and um, the specifically as it relates to the work that inspectors, inspectors general do looking into waste, fraud, and abuse. I've obtained hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reports through the Freedom of Information Act because those reports are classified, right? They're never, ever released. Mm -hmm. uh, there are instances when they are declassified, but of, of everything that I've looked at, um, I, I've never come across anything where somebody blew the whistle, you know, if this is, if this is true on the president right. um, or, or someone so high up uh, like that, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's just, I have, I've not seen that happen before. Sure. So, I'm sure at the same time, you know, um, to be a little fair that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the person at, uh, um, you know, the, the acting director of national intelligence was like, oh, my God, it is, apparently this involves the president. Yeah. What do I do about this? But um, it seems to be, again, you know, this 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 problem that, that Congress has where, you know, you have these agencies that are simply thwarting or and, and ignoring or, or just, you know, telling them, you know, go pound sand. We're not going to listen to anything you say. We're not going to do what you want us to do. Hold us in contempt. You know, nobody's getting arrested. Nobody's Which being, they should. You know, and this, for that, I blame the Democrats 100%. They're feckless. They're ineffective. They're, 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 uh, they're, they're giving up their oversight responsibilities of the executive branch. Yes, they absolutely are. I think it's been, I think that's clear. And that's, you know, and usually what happens is, is that, you know, even getting a subpoena or being held in contempt, um, it's, you know, it, I believe it may have happened sometime, you know, uh, moments uh, during the Obama years. Uh -huh. um, and it certainly happened during the, you know, the Bush years, right? Where they, issued subpoenas and, and they were ignored and they, they were held in contempt. And that's, that's actually a bad thing. You know, government officials, particularly lawyers don't want to be held in contempt um, of Congress. Uh, that just kind of looks bad in sure. this case, you know, and then what, what happened is they essentially make a deal, right? And when, the, when in the past it was like, all right, fine, we'll make a deal. I'll come in for the testimony. In this case, there's just, you know, there, there, there's no, effort being made to enforce it, right? So you issue the subpoena, it's being ignored, 
you know, you had Corey Lewinowski as, as, a, as an example that no reason not to answer those questions. I mean, nope. Never, None yeah, at all. It doesn't matter what the White House says, what you should ignore. But then if you're going to threaten to, you know, hold someone in contempt, um, there, there has to be an enforcement mechanism in place, right? How are you going to, what are you going to do next? And as you noted, the, you know, the Democrats basically have, have, you know, without saying so explicitly, have drawn the line saying, we'll hold you in contempt, but that's it. You know, maybe maybe we'll hold you in contempt. I mean, Nadler is still saying we're considering holding him in contempt. Even Nancy Pelosi said, I don't know. What is he waiting for? He should have held him in contempt when he refused to answer the questions. This is what I don't understand. Why are they dragging their feet? They're doing nothing while Trump fiddles on the roof and Washington burns. Right. Um, It's hard to tell what they're thinking. (laughs) I mean, truly, actors, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I haven't really seen like a real effort to explain, like, listen, this is, this is why we're not going to do this. Um, and, and to just sort of be honest about it, but it does, everything does seem to revolve around, as you know, politics, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you, you'll get answers from Nancy Pelosi about public opinion and, you know, we don't have the votes. And what's the point if we don't have the votes? Um, it's and that, the process. I think that has to do more with, it's with, the process. It's the process. Right. I want to shake her and say, it's the process. It's it's standing up for the Constitution. It's ensuring that no future president comes in and says, well, this is the new norm. And what they don't get, I don't expect that an impeachment would remove Trump from office. This Senate would not convict him. But it's holding the hearings. It's getting everything on the record. It's requiring those subpoenaed to show up. It's televising it all so the American people see it. It's it's doing their congressional oversight duties. And it's I'm just I'm blown away by how lame the Democrats have been. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that your your feelings, that sentiment, you know, is shared by many. Yeah, uh, and it's getting to the point where, you know, you see the president. Um, we hear about allegations, new allegations, how he's certainly profiting off the presidency, um, which is illegal. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and other. Uh, uh, Issues, instances of, of um, you know, constitutional violations that, you know, that are popping up. And, yeah, it, it's just kind of mind-boggling it, at this exactly. point because people are looking for, you know, answers in terms of what you're going to do about it. Right. But if you are someone in this administration, if you are the president, if you're Attorney General Barr, because if you recall, he made that comment, uh, snarky comment, you know, to Pelosi, I believe at one point during a, a public hearing about, uh, you know, where are those handcuffs? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, right. Um, and whip but, them so, out. So you're gonna get the sergeant at arms, get the sergeant at arms right. to arrest those people and throw them in the cell that's in the bo- in the basement of the Capitol building. It's there. It's being used for storage or something. Clear out a corner and throw them in there. Um And Monday, on Monday, I have in my calendar, the Judicial Committee has a hearing, presidential corruption, emoluments, and profiting off the presidency. I got to say, if if this hearing goes anything 
like the Corey Lewandowski one went, the Democrats might as well just pack it in right now and go home. And we all might get our passports renewed and try to figure out where we can escape to on the planet. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, again, you know, to, to, to the point that I was making and, and, you know, what you're saying about Monday is this administration is essentially pushing it as far as it can because it is uh-huh. and, and, then and, some. and doing so very openly yep. because they have already been put on notice that, you know, the, um, congress, the members of Congress who have oversight won't enforce the, 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 the parts of, you know, um, uh, whether it's a subpoena or whether it's, a, you know, a, a holding someone in contempt, it won't go further, right? So it ends there. And ultimately, it's like, what's going to happen if they ignore it? It's the same with something that's, uh, that's like a Hatch Act violation, right? right? We had Kellyanne Conway and Lynn Patton uh-huh. now, just uh-huh. over the past few months, who, are, who have you know, uh, the, the office of special counsel, not to be confused with what's Mueller's office that investigates such violations have said these were, you know, grave hatch act violations. And, um, believe they even recommended that Kelly can't come when be fired. Right. Uh, but, um, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're ignoring it. They, they, this administration is ignoring it because they know that they don't have to, uh, no one's going to hold them you know, right. accountable. Right. And, right. and that's ultimately what it is, is that the, there's a lack of accountability, right? Accountability, you can, you can say you're being accountable by, you know, holding a hearing, having someone testify, but, um, you know, when, when that individual refuses to, you know, answer questions and then, and then it, you know, upsets you to the point where you're going to say that uh, you're holding them in contempt and that's it, well... Exactly. Exactly. Then what? Oh, all right. The frustration goes on, which is why we need stories about asteroids narrowly missing the Earth. And and we look at that as a cheerful diversion. Anyway, uh, Jason Leopold, senior investigative reporter at BuzzFeed News. You are a national treasure. You're one of my favorite people. I thank you so much for, for. And it's mutual. Oh, thank you, honey. Take care. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll get through this together. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jason. Thanks, Nicole. Take care. The awesome Jason Leopold. Follow him on Twitter, at Jason Leopold, and find him at BuzzFeedNews.com. The man does amazing work. So, are you registered to vote yet? If you're a regular listener of the broadcast, you know how important it is that you not only vote, but that you check your registration often. Because some states have a habit of purging their voting rolls. Anyway, Tuesday is National Voter Registration Day. And it's an event sponsored by the League of Women Voters. Remember the League of Women Voters? Yeah, they used to run the debates, the presidential debates. So they want to talk about National Voter Registration Day. I want to talk about the debates. So we'll do both in just a moment. I am Nicole Sandler, your guest host on another edition of The Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. People have the power. Everything we dream. People have the power. 
Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, guest host for the day. That's Patti Smith with a new version of People Have the Power, recorded with a group called Choir, Choir, Choir. You can find that video on YouTube. It really is a treat. I thought that was the perfect theme song as the global climate strike is in full gear. The activities continue throughout the week and into the beginning of the U.N. General Assembly. 16-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg tweeted scenes from cities around the world with more people than we could have imagined. She's in New York City to speak at the rally in Battery Park on Friday, where she just tweeted, quote, The estimated number in New York is over 250,000. They closed the park because there were too many people. People have the power, indeed. Marching and protesting are great. In fact, I think they're necessary. But our first line of attack is at the ballot box, which brings me to my next guest. Jeanette Senecal is Senior Director of Mission Impact for the League of Women Voters. Yes, the League of Women Voters. You can find them online at lwv.org. So, Jeanette, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, The reason for our conversation is that on Tuesday, September 24th, it is um, National Voter Registration Day. Uh, What happens that day? Yes. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you about this today. So National Voter Registration Day was actually established in 2012 to really celebrate democracy. It's about creating a positive narrative, getting people wanting to participate, and then giving them the opportunity to do so on that same day. So there are hundreds, thousands of events all across the country where people are actively registering voters on that single day of action. Just Ourselves, the League of Women Voters, will be hosting about 500 events across the country. Wow. And if people can't make it to an in-person event, people can also go to vote411.org, which is a website that the League of Women Voters runs, and get started online. So you can do it in person or online. That's great. Um, And and obviously, it's really important that we register as many people as possible to vote. I'm wondering, I keep seeing things, notices on social media, that the deadline to register for the New York primary, say, for instance, if you want to vote in the Democratic primary, I believe the deadline is something like October. October 11th for a primary that's probably six months after that. Is there any central site or place that people can go to find out what the voter registration deadlines are in their state to be able to vote both in the primary and the general election? Absolutely. So resources like vote411.org, we have the upcoming registration deadline and the upcoming election for every single jurisdiction in the country. So uh, there are... Uh, November 2019 elections coming up. So there, you know, there is an imminent voter registration deadline to participate in those local and state elections, which there are hundreds of those going on too this year. Uh, The New York situation is actually very unique because that has to do with participating in the primary and updating your party status. Mm -hmm. The voter registration deadline for any federal election leading into the general Etc. can't be more than 30 days out of the election. But the, that New York situation is really specifically related to changing your party affiliation. Ah, I see. Okay, so if you want to change your party affiliation in New York in order to vote in the primary, you need to do so now, basically. Very soon, don't wait. Yes, I'm not exactly sure what the exact date is, but it is something very soon. 
Uh, but that does that's a party specific issue in New York. That's not the case in most other states, gotcha. even in relation to the party the party elections. Gotcha. But if ever if people go to vote411.org, you can get all the information specific to where you live as to what the deadlines are. So you know you need to be registered by this certain date. Um, it's also a good idea for everyone to check their registration to make sure that you weren't purged because that's happening all around the country as well. That is a great point that I was thinking of trying to find a way to talk <laughs> with you about myself. Uh-huh. Uh, again, you that is the type of thing that you can go to vote for one one. So vote for one one.org is really about answering all the questions that a voter needs. So you can find your polling place, uh, you can find uh how to register to vote, you can find registration deadlines, you can find what identification you need, and you can connect to all the state systems that allow you to confirm your registration status. So as you said, there are circumstances where people, you know, might just need to update their their registration anyway because they moved or their name changed because they got married or divorced or whatever. So they need to update their status. Uh, So it's important for every voter to go and check. And those resources are available all in that one place, in that one centralized place at vote411.org. That's great. So I want to change subjects for just a couple of minutes because uh, the League of Women Voters, I grew up hearing about the League of Women Voters mostly because you're the organization that used to run the presidential debates. Um, That changed a few years back. And I got to tell you, the quality has gone so far downhill. These, what we're seeing now that are called debates, are it's just a continuation of the whole, what I think, reality show culture that's, uh, that the media has built up to turn presidential elections into a ratings-making horse race. It, it's really frustrating. Why doesn't the League of Women Voters run the uh, debates anymore? Well, as you were referring, the League did run the debates for many, many years, and um, many decades ago at this point, the League stopped participating in them because the parties were actually making too many demands and trying to take over running the debates, and the League did not want to agree to the rules that they were willing to agree to. So we couldn't come to an agreement on how to run the debates together, and therefore we weren't able to really move that forward any, any longer. But we do run hundreds and thousands of debates every year. Just in the Northern Virginia area, we have about 20 debates coming up between now and this coming November. Leagues all across the country are doing governor and senator hmm. and congressman and a school board and town council and mayor and city council. I mean, there are all kinds of debates that the league does continue to run. So if people are interested in hearing directly from the candidates and going to a debate that is uh, run by an organization like the league, uh, there are lots of those that they can go and find in their local communities. And again, all of that information is available on vote411.org. Oh, great. So that really is a central resource that we we direct people to for all this type of information. Awesome. I, let me just protest loudly, publicly, that the... Uh, the way the presidential debates are run now is a travesty, and it does a disservice to both the candidates and the American public. Can you explain, um, just for education's sake, the the history of the League of Women Voters? Because, I, sadly, uh, young people today really don't know anything about your organization. Well, the League of Women Voters comes out of the right uh, and the fight to win suffrage for the women's vote. So Mm -hmm. the women who actually organized and 
worked in coalition with many other groups as well, but uh, led the way to win the right for women to vote. They Once they won that, they said, gee, now all these people have the right to vote and we want to help them exercise that right to vote. So those many of those same women ended the organization they were working under to win the right to vote and established legal women voters so that we could have help people get registered to vote, to help people understand what the issues really meant in their community, to help people understand where the candidates stand on the issues, to help people engage in their local governments uh, so that they can ensure that their representatives are really reflecting the needs of their communities. And that's really what we do today. The League of Women Voters is really working to see a democracy that's powered by the people, for the people, really all the people. If people want to get involved to join, are there local chapters that they can join? And second part of my question is, uh, being it's the League of Women Voters, is there any involvement in a push to get an equal rights amendment in this country? So yes and yes. So we have about 800 chapters across the country in all 50 states. So if people are interested in getting engaged with the organization that, you know, provides voter registration at high schools and naturalization ceremonies and public transit stops like the league does or wants to help run debates or wants to participate in in advocating for public policy in their local community, we do have local chapters all across the country. You can find where those local leagues are if you go to the main League of Women Voters website, which is lwv.org, and you put in your zip code and it'll tell you what the closest local league is to you. Okay. Uh, and the second question related to the ERA, there yeah. is a movement for to pass the ERA. We're just, I believe, one single state away exactly. from yep. enough states finally ratifying the amendment to move it back. There is a concern about what the... When the amendment was originally passed, there was an established deadline by which enough states had to move before it or else it would expire. But that wasn't really the reason for doing that wasn't because, you know, the issue wasn't important. And so there's a movement to really ensure that um, if this does happen, that we can still move forward with it. Oh, great. Well, I I hope so. Uh, Again, one state. I live in Florida. Uh, let's turn Florida. You know. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jeanette Senecal, Senior Director of Mission Impact for the League of Women Voters Education Fund. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing uh, National Voter Registration Day. Thank you to the League of Women Voters for still existing and, and, and trying to make a difference. We need all hands on deck these days. So uh, thank you again. Well, thank you so much for having us. And everyone get out there and register to vote. Please do. And then make sure you actually do vote. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the broadcast. Once again, I'm Nicole Sandler of the Nicole Sandler Show at NicoleSandler.com, filling in for Brad and Desi while they're off dealing with Brad's father. He suffered a pretty major stroke last week and is fighting for his life. So we'll keep the fire burning here until Brad and Desi can return. Until next time, as Brad always says, good luck, world. Nicole Sandler, your broadcast guest host.
Brad and Desi are out because of circumstances beyond their control, dealing with an illness in the family. So I'm holding down the fort until they can return. Thank you for bearing with me. If you're enjoying what you hear, I want to invite you to check out my show, The Nicole Sandler Show. It's heard on the Progressive Voices Network, Tuesday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern to Pacific. You can get it wherever you regularly get your podcasts or download it directly from NicoleSandler.com.